Sometimes they are tempted to wonder if there isn't someone else out there with whom they would have greater compatibility. Such uh, was the case for Suleiman Gurishi. His name is mispronounced to protect the innocent, probably his wife, um, of Izmir, Turkey. Uh, Suleiman divorced his wife of 21 years, which included a bitter six-year court battle. In an effort to find the ideal woman, Goreshi employed a computer dating service that evaluates written profiles of all the applicants uh, to determine compatibility. From a list of over 2,000 prospective brides, the computer chose his former wife, who had also signed up with the computer dating service. What did he do? He decided to remarry his wife of just nine months, whom he had divorced nine months earlier. And he said, I did not know that my ex-wife had been my ideal counterpart for marriage. As some of us are slow learners, I decided to give it another try to be more tolerant toward her. Amy Sutherland um, wrote in an article for the New York Times, an article which I think will help us, some of us gain insight here. And the article is entitled, What Shamu Taught Me About a Happy Marriage. And she had been married for 12 years and became dismayed with her husband who uh, still had several irritating personal habits after 12 years. Here's what she says. These minor annoyances are not the stuff of separation and divorce, but in some they began to dull my love for Scott. I wanted, I needed to nudge him a little closer to perfect, to make him into a mate who might annoy me a little less who wouldn't keep me waiting at restaurants, a mate who would be easier to love. So, like many wives before, I ignored the library of advice books and set out about improving him. By nagging, of course, which only made his behavior worse. He'd drive faster instead of slower, shave less frequently, not more, leave his reeking bike clothes on the bedroom floor longer than ever. She goes on to tell how she had this opportunity to uh, attend uh, a school for exotic animal trainers. And she was doing research for a book, and here's what she found to be helpful. She said, I listened carefully as professional trainers explained how they taught dolphins to flip and elephants to paint. Eventually, it hit me that the same techniques might work on a stubborn but lovable species, the American husband. The central lesson I learned from exotic animal trainers is that I should reward behavior I like and ignore behavior I don't. After all, you don't get a sea lion to balance a ball on the end of its nose by nagging. The same goes for the American husband. Back in Maine, I began thanking Scott if he threw one dirty shirt into the hamper. If he threw in two, I kissed him. Meanwhile, I would step over the soiled clothes on the floor without one sharp word, though I did sometimes kick them under the bed. But as he basked in my appreciation, the piles became smaller. Well, there is a wise woman. Marriage is a foundation of the Christian home. 
The home is the chief building block of society. In Colossians 3.18, through chapter 4, verse 1, the Apostle Paul gives instructions for living in the home. Before we look at verse 18, because verse 18 says, wives, be submissive to your husbands, okay? So before we get there, let me set the context for you. First, this is from the book of Colossians only. First, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Chapter 3, verse 1. Since then, since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. One of the reasons is these instructions are things above. They're not things on earth. And they don't come from a source of things on earth, but they come from things above. By the way, anybody need a Bible? We have, we have some. If any, just slip up your hand if you want a copy because we're, you'll need one for Colossians chapter 3. Continuing Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, which also may apply to our marriages. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful even for your marriage. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, even in marriage. So now we come to chapter 3, verse 18. And uh, if you're following your outline, the first thing I want to say is follow Christ in your marriage relationship. Follow Christ in your marriage relationship. Verse 18, instructions for the wife. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. It is fitting in the Lord. God has given a design for Christian marriage that is fitting in the Lord. It fits with who Jesus is. It fits with those who are in Christ, who are believers in Jesus. It fits with New Testament principles. But our 21st century American culture struggles with this idea in a major way, right? A Gallup poll asked American adults to agree or disagree with this statement. A wife should submit graciously to the servant leadership of her husband. Do you agree or disagree? 69% of the American population disagreed. Um, the instructions in Colossians chapter 3 verse 18 go against the grain of our American culture sometimes what we forget is the instructions that Paul gave in Colossians 3 18 through the rest of the chapter um, were entirely revolutionary for the first century culture here's what I mean Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. It's easy to take this for granted, but this was absolutely amazing in the first century. Verse 28, chapter, 
Galatians 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek. And if you know anything about history, there was a great deal of uh, controversy between the, the Jews and the Greeks, a great deal of stress. Uh, there was ethnic issues between them. There were religious issues between them. There was hatred uh, between them. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. Um, scripture is removing the barrier, the social barriers between slavery and freedom. Male nor female. There's no distinctions regarding value, regarding equality in the body of Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. You all have equal value. That was absolutely revolutionary. In the first century, a woman basically had no rights. The head of the household uh, was usually dominant and domineering, and uh, he was, uh, had legal rights, and the woman had no legal rights. And then uh, for the New Testament to come and say, there's no distinction in Christ. Equal value. Husband is not more important, not more valuable. He is not superior in any way to his wife. They are equal in Christ. Jesus loves the wife just as much as he loves the husband. Jesus died for the wife just as much as he did for uh, the wife. Um, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24, uh, the scripture says this, Wives, submit to your husbands, to your own husbands. You don't have to, to submit to anybody else, any other husband or any other uh, male in this way. Submit to your husbands, su submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. There's a relationship between your submission to your husband and your submission to Christ. Um, for the husband is the head of the wife, and by the way, God gives these instructions to the wife, not to the husband. The husband isn't to take this as a stick and sort of, or a trumpet and sort of play it over and over again and say, hey, I'm in charge, I'm the boss. The Bible says I'm, I'm the boss, and that's not true. The Bible says the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. There's a, relation, there's a corollary there. The church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their, own, to their husbands in everything. So God has designated, it's not because there's anything special about the husband. Guys, you are not special. But God has designated you as a designated final authority for your home. That primarily means you are responsible for your family. God holds you responsible for the well-being of your wife and your kids and anybody else in your family. God holds you. That's what it means to be the head. And God is not coming around to blame your wife for failure. God is coming around to blame you first, to hold you accountable first. So this is a pretty uh, significant responsibility. To submit means to voluntarily choose to allow someone to outrank you. To acknowledge that God has designated one person, the husband, to have final authority in the home. This is the model, the same model used in the Trinity. In the Trinity, there is a final authority. It's the Father. The Son submits to the Father. The Holy Spirit submits to Jesus the Son. This is the model in the Trinity. Um, this is also the model of the church, the body of Christ. 
the church, the body, is to submit to the head, that is Christ. And you, and you can say, well, you don't know my husband. That's true, I don't. This relationship uh, is not about control. It's not about domination. It's not about self-centeredness in any way. Let me go back to the context. Colossians chapter 3. What's the context of this relationship? Therefore, this is chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, it's God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with compassions, with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This is the kind of lifestyle to be lived out in the Christian home and Christian family between husband and wife. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This relationship is, is to be, um, contr- uh, I'll say controlled, controlled by love. It, it's to be the centerpiece of the relationship, and it's a sacrificial love. So, this is instructions for the wife. Submit to your husbands as is fitting. Should a wife submit to her, hundred, uh, to her husband on 100% every time, every occasion? The answer is, is it fitting in the Lord? Does it fit with Jesus' reputation? Does a, if a husband asks his wife to do anything that doesn't fit, she shouldn't obey. Does it fit? Is it Christ-like? Is there anything in Scripture that prohibits it? Is it immoral? Is it about stealing or lying? Scripture prohibits that. A wife would not be required to follow her husband when he chose that path. So let's, let's get to the husbands. Instructions for the husbands, verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. One of the interesting things about Paul's instructions here, he just kind of highlights. He doesn't teach us everything there is to know about marriage, what to do in every situation, but he highlights. It's the main things. And he picks up often on our main weaknesses. And he says, love them. He said, don't boss them. You don't have to control them. Don't be harsh with them because, guys, sometimes we're harsh. At least, that's my wife. Sometimes I'm harsh. That, that's just one of those rough edges that's just hard to come off for me to be. I want to be tough. Uh, I, I want to be strong. And uh, that is not a good way to treat my wife. I need to be gentle. I need to be kind. I need to be sensitive. And there's instructions in the Bible about that too. Um, so it's not the husband's job to be right all the time. I tried that. It doesn't work. He's not to be bossy. He's not to be domineering or self-centered. He is to be compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient, and forgiving. That's all Colossians chapter 3. He is to sacrificially love his wife. That's about caring for her needs. It's about providing for her needs. It's about serving her. It's about being committed to her. It is not necessarily about feeling emotional It's about serving and sacrificing. Also in Colossians 3, the husband is not to lie. He's not to use filthy language. He must control his anger and eliminate rage. 
You must not be greedy or sexually inappropriate. That's the kind of relationship that God has designed for the home. The kind of relationship that God has designed for marriage. Peter adds in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This has been probably the most meaningful verse about marriage for me. And uh, New American says, live with your wives in an understanding way. It's about recognizing that God has designed your wife to be emotionally way different, physically way different, and there's nothing uh, inferior or there's nothing to be devalued about that. When I got married, I thought Sue was just weak, you know, because she couldn't, she wasn't as strong as me. Well, that's like a total male thing, you know, it's just very immature and and real self-focused. But the scripture tells me that I need to live with my wife in an understanding way. I need to be considerate. I need to understand how God has made her different. And my wife is uniquely different. And there, there needs to be no other woman on earth besides my wife. And I am to study her. Just like, man, you are to know your wife. You don't need to know any other woman on earth but your wife. And what makes her unique What are her needs? Don't tell her what her needs should be. Find out what they are and then seek to meet them. Treat them with respect. Treat them with value. That's the problem is in marriage, because we live with each other and we uh, we take each other for granted and we get tired and we get depleted and um, we don't show value to our mates. We do it with the tone of our voice. You know, we we get harsh, we get grumpy, we're tired. We don't treat them in any way special. Um, treat them with respect. You know, how do you treat people that are really important? Well, there's nobody more important than your mate. Nobody more important than your mate. Jesus. Okay. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner, not inferior. God made her different than you, men. She is more sophisticated emotionally than you are. She is not weaker. She doesn't have the same physical characteristics. Praise God, you know. God made her different. And, and treat her with respect, treat her with honor, and heirs with you. Heirs means she's equal. She's a co-heir with you in Christ. She has just as much salvation as you do. She's just as gifted as you are. Um with the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And here's an amazing thing. If you are insensitive to your wife, God will be insensitive to you. Because the way you treat your wife, if you treat her well and honor her, God will answer your prayers. If you don't treat your wife well, God will not answer your prayers. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Your, your marriage, the way you treat your wife, can hinder your prayers. And you cannot thrive if your prayers are hindered. Okay. Let's, Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This comes right before Ephesians 5.22 that says, wives, submit. So here's the deal. Sometimes, men, there are times you would submit 
to your wives. God says you're the head of the home, but also there's a mutual submission in marriage. There are times that you and I submit to our wives. I was really slow about learning this. When I got married and found out, when Sue told me that I was the head, I didn't know it, when Sue told me I was the head, I just bossed her around. I'll make the decisions. You just do what I say. That is not a fun place to be. I can see most of you are way more mature than that. But through the years, I found out that headship means if I'm a smart leader and Sue is, has abilities that I don't have, maybe I should let her use her abilities. Or if she has an idea that's better than mine, it took me a long time to admit that, maybe her idea is better and we should go with her idea. Maybe she has skills that I don't have and she has a ton. And she has insight that I don't have. Well, wouldn't a good leader delegate some of that leadership to somebody who is better? And so there are often occasions that uh, Sue and I, this whole thing about submission and headship really isn't an issue in our home. It used to be, but I would just say we just typically talk things through. What's the best idea here? Well, let's go with the best idea. It has a whole lot to do with me recognizing, hey, Sue has way better ideas than I do. And so... I'm responsible. If it fails, it means it's me. It's, and if we agree together, it's, it's not, hey, you, it was your idea. That was dumb. No, we made a decision together, and we'll just stand with it together. So we learn from it. So sometimes we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Um, okay, let's, uh, number two. Verses 20 and 21, follow Christ in your parenting relationships. I know we could talk all morning about marriage. Follow Christ in your parenting relationships. First instructions for children. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Um, just a quick reminder, this typically refers to children growing up in their parents' home. Now, it gets a little fuzzy when you like get to the college age and you're still under your parents' financial assistance and yet you're trying to sprout your wings and become adults. And it gets, you know, wise parents do a lot to release, and yet there is still responsibility. After you get married, the strings get cut. Leave your father and your mother, and two of you become one. And then the primary relationship in your life is your mate, not your parents. Don't let your parents mess with your marriage. Leave your father and your mother as the primary relationship. They become secondary. So, back to the children. Instructions for children. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Obedience is a crucial part of raising kids. There is an assumption here for the children that they're being raised in a Christian home. They're being raised where mom and dad are seeking to apply biblical principles. Mom and dad are seeking to be compassionate and gentle and forgiving and humble that, that these principles are lived out in the home. And children are to obey their parents in everything. Parents are to practice. You know, this is where you're, the home is foundational. This is where kids learn about how to forgive. Mom and dad forgive each other. Mom and dad taught, you know, my sister and I to forgive each other. Um... Mom and dad were humble with us. Mom and dad taught us about being gentle. 
Mom and dad taught us about being kind. This is what we lived out in our home. That's where it should happen. Um, so this is the framework for raising kids. Uh, is there a time that children don't have to obey? Sure, when it's not fitting in the Lord, when it dishonors Christ, when parents are immoral or greedy or out of control or ask kids to disobey God, then a child would not have to obey parents. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, the Apostle Paul writes this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So this is talking about a Christian family in a Christian home. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go, go well with you and that you may enjoy life on earth. There's so much that uh, kids can learn at home uh, through their parents, by watching their parents, by relating to their parents. Um, Proverbs 1.8 says this, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. And so this is one of those principles in the Bible, a principle of wisdom about the home. And kids, in this case a son, is to pay attention to his father's instruction and his mother's teaching. Now, here's the assumption. Mom and dad are teaching. Mom and dad are showing them about life. Mom, are, mom and dad are helping them with issues like, how do you know God's will? How do you understand the scriptures? How do you grow as a follower of Christ? How do you become a Christian? These, these are things that mom and dad are teaching all the way along. Instructions for, in verse 21, instructions for the father. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. And again here, the Apostle Paul doesn't give everything there is to know about raising kids. Um, but he just gives highlights, and he picks on one that kind of applies to us guys. Here I identifies a special area for fathers. Do not embitter your children. Well, um, I was most formed by athletics growing up. I was most formed by my football coaches and my track coaches and my ba basketball coaches and my baseball coaches and it was about winning and uh, it was about being strong and it was about hard work and discipline and our, my, my coaches weren't gentle so I was not gentle coming into marriage or being a dad and uh, we need to be reminded not to be harsh with our wives as well as to be too harsh with our kids. We can be firm, but uh, we have to be careful not to embitter them or not to exasperate our children, not to push them too far, uh, not to have unrealistic expectations, not to withdraw affirmation or affection because of performance. Um, think of an example of uh, let's look at Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Uh, the kind of thing a guy does, and this is what I did with my kids, but like playing, with, uh, getting on the floor and playing with my kids, you know, I like to be physical, and my kids like to be physical. 
but I could start tickling them and they'd laugh and they'd laugh and they'd laugh and then there'd be a point I'd keep going and they'd start crying and who had to tell me to stop my wife and I would just I could keep going and I that's I I went too far it's over the line it's over the top the, it's no longer fun it's hurtful and there, that's we can be we can raise our kids we can be firm with our kids but sometimes our expectations get too high and they they get exasperated they don't get it they don't understand it's not fair and we have to provide grace and love and gentleness to help them because kids have a limitation no surprise but we sometimes think their limitation ought to be much greater than it really is that's why every family needs a mom because mom understand what a five-year-old should be like and what a seven-year-old should be like sometimes dad thinks a five-year-old should act like a ten-year-old that's a problem so we're talking about instructions for fathers proverbs 6 verses 20 through 22 Again, my son, keep your father's command. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. And so there again, it's about kids. There's, you got to listen to your parents. Follow their instructions. Obey your parents. Bind them always on your heart. Make them close. Close in your life. Remember them. Memorize them. Keep them here. Fasten them around your neck. Just like a necklace. Keep them here. Keep them close. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep... They will watch over you. When you're awake, they will speak to you. Pay attention to your parents. Pay attention to what they teach. They should be teaching you how to have a relationship with God, how to walk with God, how to, how to uh, forgive, uh, how to overcome failure. All these things come from mom and dad. Um, verses 22 through the end of the chapter, follow Christ in your workplace relationships. And we start with instructions for employees in verse 22. And that doesn't look like an employee, does it? Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. Now, the first century culture was way different than our 21st century culture when we need to apply this. Um, the, this master-slave relationship was an economic system that existed uh, during Bible times. Um, the Bible had a radically different perspective. We already saw that there's no distinction between master and slave in value in the body of Christ. And by the way, this is what the book of Philemon was written about. A slave had run away um, and from his master and Paul is going to restore them because in Christ they are equal that's totally revolutionary um, now I'm not going to uh, take uh, the time to go into the institution of slavery um, but here's the deal anything um, in the New Testament that Paul was teaching here is that uh, Master and slave are equal. All relationships should be treated with love and kindness and gentleness and humility and compassion. There's no harshness. There's no dominance. There's no devaluing. There's no treating anybody immorally. Okay? That was the design of the New Testament. 
and I'm not uh, going to ar- argue um, why it existed in the first uh, the writers of the New Testament did not seek to overthrow the institution of slavery. And I guess God left that up to the church. And uh, there were Christians, basically, who uh, came forward. A lot, some Christians didn't come forward, but a lot of Christians came forward and began to uh, talk about equal value for all people. So instructions for employees. That's where we're going to make the application. Uh, in the New Testament... Is a slave always to obey their earthly masters? As long as the slave is not required to participate, the servant not required to participate in sin, not to dishonor God or not to dishonor Christ in any way. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. So let's talk about being an employee. We are to be good employees. We are to follow the instructions of our employer. We are to work hard whether our employer is watching or not. This was a problem in the first century, and it's just as much a problem today. Christians, right? If our boss is watching, do we behave any differently than when he's or her is not watching? Um we do this out of reverence to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul goes on, verse 23, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters or human employers. We have a heavenly employer, a heavenly master, and he's the one we serve. And Paul would say, you are a Christian. Work like a Christian. Your highest motive is to serve Christ in the workplace, to represent Christ in the workplace. It doesn't matter if you have a crummy boss. And there were people in the New Testament who didn't have masters who were so kind to them. Um, You are to do it as you're serving the Lord since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord, verse 24, as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs and there's no favoritism. So the what is to obey your employer. This is not popular, even among Christians. Um... How do we obey? By focusing on pleasing Christ, not men or not our employer. That means we're not going to steal from our employer. That means that laziness is inappropriate. It means lying to your employer is wrong. It means bad-mouthing your employer is wrong and dishonors Jesus. Why? It is the Lord Christ you are serving. You and I are accountable to him. And he doesn't play favorites. 2 Corinthians 5.10 talks about this accountability. He says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the way we worked in the workplace, the way we treated our fellow employees, the way we treated our boss, even in his absence, the way we treated the people who wrote our paychecks, that we may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And so there's going to be an accountability. This is a 
This is a judgment seat of Christ, and this is for all believers. This is not about anybody losing their salvation, but it's about being accountable as a Christian on how you live today. And you're going to face Jesus, and you're going to know. You're going to know how you lived. You're going to know what was disappointing to him. You're going to know what brought him great joy. And we all have that opportunity to stand before him. Instruction for employers, chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you have a master in heaven. Christian masters were to live like Christians and treat their employees fair. They were to do right by their uh, people who served in their household. They were not to be self-centered. They were not to be domineering. They were to have compassion, gentleness, kindness, patience, and be forgiving. That's what God intended. And this is what God intends for those who are employers and those who have people that report to them is that we be right and fair. Fair in job evaluation, fair wages, fair benefits, fair treatment. This was revolutionary in the first century that somebody had to be right and fair because it was all about power. It was about control. It was about... um, How can we make the most money? Um, Why is this important? You have a master in heaven. You have a master in heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. It's the same passage. If you're an employer, if you have people that report to you, you're going to have to stand before Jesus for the way you've treated them. It's for all that we do. It's for our entire lives. But it's certainly going to include how we treated people that work for us. In the first century, Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 1, were considered instructions for the household. All these relationships would have been found in a household. Obviously, the husband and wife, the parents and the children, but also The master-slave or master-servant relationship was in the household. They all lived under one compound. And this is way different for our culture today because we talk about the employer and employee relationship, and it's outside of the home. But the principles are still the same. Uh, The truth is the same about relationships. God has a plan, and God has a design. When we follow Christ in our relationships, we will thrive. We will grow. We will become more like Jesus. One breakthrough came for a married couple. When they went, down, uh, when they went uh, out for a meal, they sat down together to eat. And the husband said to his wife as, as they, were, they were on a date, and the husband said, I've just uh, come to some major insight about our relationship. And she said, well, what's that? And he said, I now know that you cannot satisfy me. And the wife laughed at him and said, "Um, I've learned that too. You can't satisfy me. And it was a great insight because they both had come to understand they cannot expect their mate to meet all their needs. They cannot expect their mate to make them happy. They cannot expect their mate to fulfill the deep yearnings in their heart that only God can fill. And sometimes we do that. We put our mate up and we look to our mate to be everything and to, and to, to supply everything and nobody can do it. Nobody can do it. Major problems come when our husband or wife expects their mate to meet all their needs. 
or to expect their mate to meet their deepest needs. Only Jesus Christ can meet your deepest needs. The same is true about children. Sometimes, like when a, when a marriage is struggling, a parent will look to their kids to, to meet some of the deepest needs of their soul. Kids can't do it. Sometimes, people will look to a career to find the most significance in life, to meet the deepest longings of their soul, and it's not going to happen. It's not going to be the workplace. It's only going to be Jesus.